this morning we are in uh, the story, chapter uh, 24, as we look into uh, Jesus' ministry begins. And this is kind of the stuff we're familiar with in the gospel. You know, Jesus doing the different things that he does. And we read the gospel and we see uh, him healing people. And we see him casting out demons. And we see him... Uh, even resurrecting people from the dead. And these are the kinds of things that we have come to know and love and expect from Jesus. And that kind of informs, I think, the way that we think about God and our faith. And so today, when we think about God and faith and all these things, we, as we think about prayer, uh, we think that you know what, what should happen is that when we pray for somebody to be healed, then, man, they should be healed. And if we pray that this would take place, that, you know, Man, God's going to do these things. And, and it seems that maybe God's priorities have either changed or maybe His priorities are just not what we have come to expect. And so, you know, we think that, you know, God's doing something different, it seems. Because in Jesus' day, He's doing all this stuff and He's doing all these things. And yet today it seems like, you know, God's more interested in other stuff. You know, you read the New Testament, you hear church people talk, you know, you talk about proclaiming the gospel and and, and, you know, preaching uh, you know, about salvation and all this stuff. But Jesus, he's doing all these, you know, practical things, these compassionate things, these helpful things. You know, what's, what's the difference here? And so I want to look at this text here in Mark chapter 1 that you read in the story. It's Mark 1, 31 through 35. And before we get there, I just kind of want to set the scene of this text for you. Jesus has gone to Capernaum. And it's, the text doesn't tell us what he's done before, but it says on the Sabbath day, they go to the synagogue. And so they gather together, and I'm sure all the village of, of Capernaum shows up. They're there in the synagogue, and what should happen but a man with the demon comes into the synagogue. And so Jesus, what does he do? He does what he does whenever he meets demons. It's He heals this man. He casts the demon right out of him. And then kind of goes on about your business. You know, how do you recover synagogue service after that? I mean, this is something to talk about. And then everybody goes home. Now, on the Sabbath day for the Jewish people, it's not like for us today, they're not going to O'Charlie's and they're not going to these other places. They go home, but they got a big family back there. You know, like grandma and grandpa and maybe brother and sister and their family lives there. And so they're all sitting around for Sabbath dinner because they didn't have Sunday dinner because it was Saturday. They're all sitting around for Sabbath dinner. And they're talking, they're saying, did you see what happened in synagogue today? Did you see this Jesus guy? We've heard some stories about him. He just cast this devil out. And, and they're sitting there talking and they think, you know, grandma's in the back room and she's sick. What if we took her to him? I bet that if we took grandma to Jesus, I bet that Jesus would heal grandma. And, and, and in the next tent, a few, few places over, they're sitting and they're talking and they're saying, did you see what happened in synagogue? Jesus cast this demon out. And the family thinks, well, you know, Dad's not been able to work ever since that, that thing happened to him at work. And now he's injured. I bet if we took Dad to Jesus, I bet maybe he'd be healed. And so you've got conversations like this happening in homes all throughout Capernaum. And they're having all this conversation all day Sabbath until what does the text tell us? It says, when the sun goes down. Now, for them, that meant it started the new day. Sunday started Saturday the night before. And so when the sun goes down, all these people that have been talking about bringing somebody to Jesus, they do it. They, they pack them up. They get them on the stretcher. They throw them on their back. They carry them. And they're bringing all these sick people to Jesus. 
And, and, and Jesus heals them. And the more Jesus heals them, uh, the more miraculous it, it becomes and the more of a celebrity Jesus becomes. The text tells us that he even healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And I'm sure Peter was going, gee, thanks, Jesus. And, and you know, he's getting all this stuff done. And his popularity is increasing. Everybody goes to bed, and in the morning, the disciples get up to look for Jesus, and they don't see him. Uh, let's look at the text here. It's Mark 1, 31 through 35. It's also in the story. But it says this. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus is here in the midst of, uh, of celebrity, in the midst of good ministry. And, and the disciples are thinking, man, this is it. This is the life. This is what we thought was going to happen when we followed Jesus. This is what we expected was going to happen and now it's all come to fruition, and Jesus here, they look for him in the morning, and Jesus says, no, it's time to go. Because Jesus had this sense of, of purpose, and he realized what's happening here in Capernaum is not really what I'm supposed to be doing. And I kind of want to draw from this a few thoughts. One is that there's lots of things that can take us from our primary purpose. I mean, lots of things can distract us from what it is that God's called us to do, even good things. Good things can distract us from our primary purpose. I want to just think together with you about all the people in Capernaum. There were really sick people in Capernaum. How do I know that? Because there's really sick people everywhere. There were really sick people in Capernaum. There were people that were dying in Capernaum. There were people that were uh, needing to be healed desperately in Capernaum. And Jesus says, even though that would be good, this is not my primary purpose. I've got to leave some of these good things behind in order to do the primary thing. The good things can distract us from our purpose. Jesus and the disciples, I think it would be easy to get caught up because after they finished a whole day of healing, they're still getting notes and messages and letters and, and calls saying, hey, listen, you know, I know we didn't make it over there today because mom was too sick, but we'd really like to bring her by tomorrow. Do you think you could stay long enough for us to bring mom by? And what would it be like to say, no, listen, I'm sorry, we're not going to be here anymore. Uh, we're going to have to go someplace else. That'd be a hard conversation for somebody to have. But Jesus had to have those kinds of conversations, I'm sure. Uh, let's just face the reality. You know, we think of Jesus doing all this healing, but Jesus left more people sick than he healed. Jesus, I'm sure, attended more funerals than he did resurrections. There were lots of things that were left that to us we say, you should not leave those things undone. And here in Capernaum, a city that's full of need, full of sick people, full of all sorts of brokenness, and the disciples, I mean, this is not just a town, it's their hometown. These are their people. And the disciples are saying, well, listen, if we're going to go do miracles, why don't we just do them here? Why don't we just do them here? These are our people. This is our folk. These are the people we know. Let's take care of this town first, and then we can go to someplace else. But Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what this is about. Jesus has an understanding that he was sent, but not just to Capernaum. He was sent to minister, but not just to the people there. And if we might draw a few principles for us, I think we can say, you know, there's lots of things that distract us that are good. You know, we may want to feed the world and we may want to do lots of these different things, but is that 
the thing that we're called to first. I think sometimes we get this, this false idea that there's, uh, you can either preach the gospel or do compassionate work. Uh, it's not a dichotomy. It's not an either-or choice. You can have both and. And yet sometimes we get caught up on that, well, you know, we don't want to preach the gospel. We just want to do this good stuff because it's practical and it's helpful and everybody likes that. But, you know, preaching the gospel, now that's, well, once we take care of these other things, we can do that. Or, or how many times have you heard or maybe even you've said, you know, listen, let's take care of our own town first. Let's take care of our people first. That would have been really easy for Jesus to say in Capernaum. I mean, he's staying at Simon's family's house. They're saying, you know, these are our people. Let's take care of them first. But Jesus knew that he was not sent just to Capernaum. Jesus did not die just for Bowling Green. He died for the world. He came for all of humanity. And Jesus says, we can't just stay here. We've got to go and proclaim this message of salvation into the world. Despite how good all this rest of the stuff is, it's not our primary calling. So Jesus makes that decision to go. There's another thing at work here, and it's not just the good things that distract us. There's this worldly desire, I think, that the disciples uh, are, are struggling with as well. Uh, the, the disciples come to Jesus and says, everyone is looking for you. And you get the sense that the disciples have just come back from the, uh, the, the T-shirt printing company. They're, they've got some proofs for Jesus. You know, Miracle Tour, 31 A.D., Jesus Christ, stop in Capernaum of Galilee. What do you think, Jesus? It's got your picture on the back. You know, he wanted to put our pictures. We said that was okay. But, you know, here, I mean, you're front and center. Doesn't this look good? And we got T-shirts and bumper stickers and CDs and, and all this stuff, Jesus. It's going to be awesome. We're going to set up a booth right here in Capernaum. And we're going to put this place on a map. And, and the disciples are like, wait, wait a second, Jesus, what are you hanging out in the hills praying for? The people? The people want you, Jesus. You see, the disciples are allured by that. You know, what? we struggle with the same kinds of things, don't we? You know, Richard Foster, he says, you know, the three, three things that, that, that plague all humanity is money, sex, and power. I think you could add fame in there, too. The disciples are struggling with that because, you know, if they go someplace else, they're going to be nobodies. You know, but here there's somebody. Jesus then later says, you know, the text tells them that they, there's too many people, so he's got to go into the, the abandoned wilderness of the hillside. This is not where you get popular in the abandoned wilderness and the hillsides. You've got to be in town where people are. And there's this desire that says, you know, we want to be known and celebrated and recognized and important. And I don't know which of these Jesus was struggling with. But, but I think the text makes it pretty clear that one of them is getting to Jesus. Jesus in his humanity is struggling with something here. Jesus in his humanity is either struggling with this compassion that says, you know what I really want to do is what's helpful uh, kind of immediately right now, the healing and the, the feeding and all this kind of stuff. This is one thing I'd like to do. And maybe his humanity is struggling there. He knows what his divine purpose is, but his human heart is maybe wrestling with that. Or, or maybe it's, it's a temptation to uh, the power and the importance and the, the fame uh, but Mark only records Jesus praying three times. And the text here is it, is it indicates the verb tense used indicates this is a prolonged period of prayer. Uh, the other two places he prays is, is right after John the Baptist is beheaded. And then he is just pressed by people and pressed by people and pressed by people until finally he says, enough, I've, I've got to go. I've got to go pray. He puts the disciples on the boat this right before he walks on the water. And he's got to have that time to pray. The other time that he faces uh, a time of prolonged prayer like that is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it almost is, is like Jesus is tempted to maybe take an easier way at this point in time. 
Is it that Jesus is tempted by something here? I think the answer is yes. And so Jesus is, is struggling with something. And what is it that he, do, uh, he does? He goes and he prays because it's prayer that recenters us on our call. It's, it's prayer that, that brings us back to our, our primary purpose. Jesus takes that time to pray. And he wants to pray because he wants to, to, to make sure that he moves forward with the purpose of God. And that purpose, as he understands it, is to preach the gospel, is to share the gospel. He doesn't want to be distracted uh, by the easier things uh, in the world. Um, it's, I think this is something that the church wrestles with a lot. Um, I, I read this great article, in uh, it's an interview from Leadership Journal, talking about the church and, and how it's easy to get distracted in compassionate ministry versus evangelism. A, a father and son work at this place, it's, it's called Cross Point Church, or yeah, Cross Point Church. And, and let me just read to you this interview as they've tried to wrestle through and pray through what it means for them to minister in compassion and evangelism. Uh, they say when someone comes through their, their, their compassionate ministries, uh, we always sit down and talk with them first. We have these small cubicles set up so they can receive one-on-one care before they receive food or clothing because we want to know what's going on in their lives and not just give the handout. Uh, there's a big difference between a church and a government social ministry. Uh, I don't believe that the church's ultimate end is to minister to the body. We want to use our compassion ministries to minister to the soul, to bring people to faith in Jesus. So we're clear about taking a non-threatening and non-invasive approach to asking people where they are in their relationship with Christ. And we start with this simple question, are you interested in talking about spiritual things? And if they aren't open, we treat them exactly the same as people who are open to Christ. Not everyone expresses interest in spiritual things, but we treat everyone the same. Jesus said that when we give someone a cup of cold water in his name, it won't go unnoticed by him. But we also like to ask, what does it profit a man or a woman to feed their belly and not feed their soul? Um, I would argue it's, a, it's really a cop-out when we don't do the hard work of offering food for the body and food for the soul. It's really not hard work to give out food or clothing. Anybody can do that. But it is really hard work to give food and clothing and then also open your heart and ask people if they want to hear about Christ. That makes us vulnerable because we can't force them to do that. I think that these these guys are right on. As, as, I mean, it's easy to give out these practical things, but when it comes to the spiritual thing, that's difficult and it's different. Now, for us, if you've been with us for a while, you know, we, we have our mission icon statement that says, you know, we exist to love God through worship, the church through fellowship, the world through evangelism, and the broken through compassion. And, and we love the broken through compassion by caring through their needs. And God helps the, the broken through our compassion but I also think that we need to understand something else, that God is represented to the broken through us. And if we don't take with us Jesus Christ along with food and clothing and shelter, then what have we done for them eternally? Jesus could have healed a lot of people in Capernaum who would have just gotten sick a week later. Everybody that Jesus resurrected from the grave died one more time. It's only the people that received Christ as their Savior got to live forever. And so the question for us is, what is it that is our primary call? We can do lots and lots of great things, and we should. But we should never forget that our primary purpose is to proclaim the gospel. Now, I want to talk a little bit about proclaiming or preaching is another word that's used here. You know, preaching today is kind of, um, you know, you, you, people will say this, don't preach at me. 
you know, it's a negative thing, right? You know, you don't want to be preached at. Don't preach at me. You know, Haddon Robinson, who teaches preaching, he said, you know, preaching is the fine art of talking in someone else's sleep. Isn't that good? Wake up your neighbor because they, they need to hear that. Preaching is the fine art of talking in someone else's sleep. These are the things that we've kind of come to believe about preaching. But I love this. Uh, how often do you get to hear a dif- dictionary definition with so much excitement? Uh, this is the definition of uh, the word preaching uh, as it would be used in the New Testament. It would say, a preacher is a herald. When heralds proclaimed the year of Jubilee throughout the land, with the sound of trumpet, the year began. The prison doors were opened and debts were remitted. The preaching of Jesus is such a blast of the trumpet. Its result is that the word proclaimed becomes a reality. For the divine word is a creative force. It gives what it declares. Preaching gives what it declares. Proclaiming the gospel gives what it declares. I want to just unpack that for one second. Because when we talk about sharing the gospel, I think a lot of times we get in our mind, we're going to talk about these five statements or five steps, five easy steps to being saved forever with God. If you do these three things, then you get to live forever with Jesus. And that's kind of what we think about preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. This is not, I think, what Jesus had in mind. Jesus was not interested in the information, but the transformation. And so when he looked at somebody, you know, a lot of times as he preaches the gospel, he says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. You know, that's the kind of thing. Your faith has made your daughter well. These are statements that Jesus would make a, a lot. Even, even the, the, the apostles would say things like that. And so for them, preaching the gospel wasn't, you know, here, here's the spiritual hokey pokey. And if you do this, then all of a sudden you'll be saved. They would say, listen, if you are oppressed, you are set free in Jesus Christ. If you are living in bondage, you have been delivered in the name of Jesus Christ. If you are lonely, you have a family in Jesus Christ. If you are estranged, you've been brought near by Jesus Christ. If you have been isolated and rejected, you have been reconciled in Jesus Christ. You see, for them to proclaim the gospel wasn't to say, listen, do you want to live forever? It was, do you want to be set free right now? That is the the message of proclaiming the gospel, of looking at someone that has lived with guilt and sin for all of their life and to look them square in the eye and say, you know what, on the authority of God's word, you are forgiven and set free in the name of Jesus Christ. Church, that is what the proclamation of the gospel is all about. And I dare say that if we lived this out consistently, if we showed the works of power, remained centered in prayer, then we would see people set free in Christ. You see, if all we're doing is offering a lifestyle choice or an entertainment option on Sunday morning, then it's marketing. Jesus said, this isn't marketing, this is proclamation. We're not asking people to choose, we're giving people freedom in Christ. That's what the proclaiming the gospel is about. I want to just share with you one story about how this kind of worked out in one man's life. Uh, John Dixon is a Christian author in Australia. And he, uh, in Australia, at, when he was growing up, you could go to religious education classes. And a lot of places you can do this. Your parents get to sign you up for whatever religious education class they want. So, you know, whether you can go to 
agnostic religious education class. You can go to Christian education class. You can go to the, the Catholic or the Protestant or the Methodist. You can go to any of those, and you go like on Friday afternoon, and you, you do that. And that's how that worked there in Australia. And he said that they were going to this Protestant um, religious education class, but none of them believed in Jesus. They were just glad to get out of school. And so, you know, they were there. And this lady by the name of Glenda was their religious education teacher. And she told them about Jesus and what she believed Jesus had done for them and how Jesus wanted to save them and live with them and, and, and change their lives. And they didn't really believe any of it. And then one night, John Dixon said, you know, a friend of mine got drunk and we were only 15. And we knew if we took him back to his house, his dad was this big army guy and he was going to beat him senseless. And he said, we didn't want that to happen. And so we thought the only person we could trust was Glenda. And so we took my friend to Glenda, and we knew that she didn't believe in drinking. She was a teetotaler, he said, but, but we, we were going to take her there anyway. And she's having this big dinner party, real fancy. And they said, so we brought him there, and she didn't even bat an eye, but she took him in and said, why don't you get him cleaned up and get him to bed? And then they came over the next morning, and he's eating breakfast with Glenda. And they're talking about things, and, and this kind of gets stuck in their memory. And as she starts talking a little bit more about Jesus, they kind of put that with the way that Glenda lives. And, and eventually, he says, the good majority of those kids came to know Christ uh, as a result of, of her life and her proclamation of the gospel. And, and later, he was getting into ministry, and he said, you know what, I want to know what her secret was. And so he goes and he says, Glenda, what, what was it that made your ministry so successful? And she said it was prayer. She said, I've been doing that for a long time. But that year, she said, a bunch of us religious education teachers got together. And we said, you know, we're going to pray for our students. And we're going to pray for them a lot. And she said, and I believe that's really what brought about the work of God in your lives. And so, church, I guess what I want us to leave here today with is realizing that our primary purpose it is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to deliver that message to others that they have been set free in Christ. And it is a call to us to come back to prayer, to, to refocus on that mission. And so this morning, what I'd like to do right now is just pray that God would stir that up and, and awaken that in us. And then in a little bit, we'll have Joe come up and we'll, we'll sing our song of decision. But let's take some time to pray here. Lord, there's so many things that call to us and so many things that we, we could do that are good. And there's so many things that tempt us that are less than good. And Lord, we just pray that you would recenter our hearts, focus us and our life on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to those that we know. Lord, right now, I, I want to just take a moment of silence as we think of somebody that we know that, that needs you. Lord, we lift up these people because we know that they need to be set free in Christ. We know that we can pray for healing, but Lord, the, the, the only thing that lasts is a saving relationship with you. 
And so, Lord, as we go out and live our lives, we pray that our lives would be a testimony to that freedom that is found only in Christ. We pray that as we go out, our words would, would be full of, of joy and they would be full of truth about what it means to be set free in Christ. And Lord, we pray that these words and these actions would go forth with your power, with your spirit, that they would not just be informing to others, but transforming. That, Lord, through us, through our work, as we seek to be faithful to Christ's uh, call to us, that, Lord, as we seek to be faithful to that, that you would reap the glory that the harvest you tell us is, is white and ready, that, Lord, that you would receive that and that we would have a part in it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, this morning we will uh, we do have a time of decision every week because we believe that, that God and the Spirit can be doing things in you. And, and for me, the time of decision is really a time when you just you share with the church is the way Scripture says. You know, if you've got to receive Christ and you, know, you proclaim him as, if you've got sin in your life, you know, you make confession, you do these things. Um, I don't know what the Spirit's been doing in your life, but we always open up a time of our service for you to, to make decisions, to receive Christ, to, to publicly co- commit to, to His body here at the church. Uh, if you've got a decision to make, we'll invite you to come forward as we sing. Would you stand, please? Softly and tender.